Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 60 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, here with your co-host, me, Giraffe Neck Mark, Mark Luino, James Shiano, Jeter Had No Range, talking about all the New York Mets news that's gone on in the past week. The boys are also back from Arizona, which means you will be getting video content. So check out the YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast. You'll be seeing that there. Little, uh, little daggling some fruit in front of your face here. A little candy for you. Brett Beatty interview. We got it. We did it. It's short. Five minutes. We had to rush the guy. He was... He had to catch a bus. It wasn't the best planned thing, but we do have five minutes of a breast, Brett Beatty interview coming at you. Say Brett Beatty. Not, I did say Brett Beatty, <laughs> but we got five minutes of a Brett Beatty interview not coming in this episode, coming in the next one, but you will be able to see the YouTube video at some point this week. I'm just going to drop the actual video version of it early, so if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast, we're going to be talking about the President of Baseball Operations update. We're going to be given our last grades of the year, and then we're going to be doing our off-season preview. Not super, super deep into the off-season, but a general consensus, kind of a wide, overarching, look at all these words that I'm using, by the way, to just do vague, about the off-season, because we got a lot to talk about there, and Mets have a lot of moves to make. Of course, if you guys are enjoying what you're listening to here, make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at MetsUp. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, drop us a five-star rating, drop us a review. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range, me at Giraffe Neck Mark, and that's the intro. Let's do it, episode 60. And we're going to start off today with a little bit of a in-memoriam, a little bit of a somber note here. Pedro Feliciano, former New York Met, left-handed reliever, uh, passed away in his sleep suddenly, age 45. He played with the Mets for quite a few years, 266 appearances in three years, which is pretty silly to say. And he's kind of like the loogie that I think of when I think of left-handed relievers, like those lefty specialists. He's the first guy I think of. And no one will ever really be like him again, which is weird to say because you don't think of Pedro Feliciano as one of these greats. But in terms of loogies and the way baseball is being played now, it's just kind of never going to happen again. Definitely. He was a Met for 10 total years, nine consecutively, and then one more at the end after he signed the Yankees contract and blew out his arm in classic Mets fashion. And I mean, you're, but you're right. There really will never be another reliever like Pedro Feliciano. You referenced it before, but between 2008 and 2010, he made 266 appearances. That is a number that will never, ever, ever be matched in the history of baseball. Not only in a three-year window, but we even won't even see guys get to his single-year marks that he did. He was pitching 86 games 2008, 88 2009, 92 games 2010. I looked back like six, seven years. No one got to 90 appearances in a season. Only two pitchers made 80 this year, and only three did in 2019. So, big salute to Pedro Feliciano, the workhorse reliever, gone too soon. Yeah, RIP. It's super sad news. Now, to flip it over to some other news with the New York Mets here, President of Baseball Operations update. And the update is, uh, 
it looks like we're not having one. Sandy at the GM meetings had a lot to say, and basically it's telling you that the Mets aren't going to be looking for a pobo anymore. No, it's over. We lost the president of baseball operations search. It's over. They, they defeated us. Now we're just officially looking for a general manager, which we kind of alluded to in the last few episodes. Now we just absolutely know for certain that that is what we are doing. And it's, um, I don't know, I guess it's bittersweet to use one of our favorite phrases on this podcast because I didn't really want to hire a popo who wouldn't be qualified. And I guess the Mets have dis- determined that none of the people who were still on their radar were qualified to be a president. Now they're just going to find a GM. So we're in the exact same spot as last year. And it's pretty uh, disappointing that we've done this twice now. It's a little frustrating. And I hate to keep beating a dead horse here, but it's it's Sandy, man. It's Sandy. Everyone around the league wants to say it's not him. But I think at this point, it's foolish. Sandy, even in his own way of saying it, like today during the GM meetings, was like, well, you know, New York has a lot of challenges. It's a big city, expected to win now. You got to move your family. I'm like, listen, he called it a challenge. You have the opportunity to be the president of baseball operations of one of the biggest franchises in Major League Baseball in the biggest market in all of sports. The challenge isn't the only thing turning people away, I think. I think it's a combination of a bunch of different things, challenge included, but I really do think Sandy breathing down people's necks is a real deterrent right now. Yeah, I would find it uncomfortable for myself if I had to work in between a father-son duo. Like, how would you be able to make sure that your voice was the one that gets across when you're literally working in between? This is more for a GM than a potential pobo, but you're literally working in between assistant GM, who is the president's son. I just, I don't know how... Any like really competent, like fast rising elite baseball mind would say, yes, that's the situation I want to put myself in. That's the wagon I'd like to hitch myself to. Yeah, Sandy is essentially the president of baseball operations this year because we haven't filled that spot. And like you said, we're looking for a GM. And I mean, we're, we're searching again. And I, I don't really know where we go here. It's so confusing again because if we are going to bring in a president of baseball operations, he might not even want this guy. So it, it's so. It's really frustrating because it feels like some old Mets shit, and it's annoying now. Yeah, the issue that now we've gotten to that we even probably knew was happening last year was it's going to be a mess if you ever want to bring somebody in above everybody else. I do think that is still something the Mets are considering. Between David Stern's contract being up next year and Brian Cashman, just his seat being firmly warm, basically if the Yankees don't get close to a World Series, there's a good chance that he's gone, even with his extension, because that doesn't really mean shit anymore. And if you do want to bring in like a David Stearns next year, like who, if I was him, I would want to clean the entire house out. Like there's no doubt about it. And you have like years and years of bureaucratic hires and people in certain positions and certain ways that things are done that are going to be like completely entrenched in this organization that you would have to completely undo if that happened. In addition to another manager, the fourth manager in four years for this organization, including Carl Beltran. It's a bullshit stab. I'm including him that because he was hired. It just makes this entire thing like really, really just fucking strange. And also, those comments that Sandy made about working in New York, there was there's some like truth to that. I get a lot of these just guys don't want to move across the country to New York. These guys probably have beautiful homes in places like Cleveland and Northern California and like nice suburbs of Chicago and all these nice places where housing is cheap and you can drive your kids to school. There's no traffic. You don't have to worry about anything. These people are going to have to move to Long Island, indoctrinate themselves in this psychotic culture that we think is normal in the East Coast. Like, that's a difficult ask. Like, people were really saying that's ridiculous that he said that. I don't think it was the craziest thing he said. I don't. It's He, he said crazier things about this search in the last few weeks. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge with this Mets team is going to be the tag of winning in three to five years that Steve Cohen gave last year. And the fact of the matter is, as much as we hyped up the Mets this year and even before the season started, this team, which we'll go into the offseason preview in a little bit, 
is not really in a position right now at this exact moment to win. Definitely so not. it feels like if you're coming into this job, you're almost doing it, hoping you can figure it out, but you're kind of handcuffed. Like it's it's going to be tough, and you're almost set up to lose. You're handcuffed unless again we'll talk about this in the offseason preview. Steve Cohen just writes you the blank check, like Russia did for Serbia to start World War One and tell you to get after it, have fun, sign anybody you want. But I don't know if that's completely true, and that is why another thing that Sandy said made me even more be like, this is weird today. He said that this is not a job where you can come and be comfortable. Like, this is a job that's going to be challenging, difficult, uneasy. Like, I don't want a job that I'm going to take to be described as that. Like, I I would like... Not really selling it. No, like, I I understand it'll be challenging, and, like, there'll be rewards to the challenges, but I want there to be moments of comfort if I'm the general manager of a baseball team. Not a lot, because you're working 24 hours a day for 12 months a year, but... Like, you're trying to scare more people off of what this could possibly be. Like, it's just his, his tone was also kind of, like, vindictive while also, like, scolding the reporters he was talking to. It was a real old man moment, which is just one of many that Sandy's had in the last few months. He's just he's just dated, man. He's dated. And there's some more things that I want to talk about in terms of what Sandy Alderson said with the team's construction going forward. But we'll touch on that in the offseason preview. Let's talk about the guy that kind of emerged today as a serious candidate, Adam Cromie. Not Cromie. Crommy, Chromie, whatever it is. He's definitely not commie. No, he's definitely not a commie because <laughs> the guy's got a past that's definitely a little interesting depending on how you lay uh, on the on the barometer there. But he did work in baseball at one point and for 10 years with the Washington Nationals. And that's important because I think in the whole grand scheme of the narrative that's now going around this Adam Crommie guy, it seems like people are forgetting that he was in baseball with the Nationals in a pretty significant role. This was a layered piece of news that came out today that had people on Twitter, especially people who like the Mets, really just twisted and turned in all kinds of directions. Because again, Adam Cromie is a qualified baseball person. I actually read like a lot about his backstory today. I picked up some articles from like when he left the Nationals to talk about his upcoming in baseball before he became um, a champion of the right. He was in college studying economics when Moneyball was a big thing. And this is when he decided that like his dream was going to be to get into baseball. And he showed up to the winter meetings a couple different years. He couldn't get an internship. He couldn't do it. He wrote his thesis on player development and how that would be the next um, – that was going to be a new type of value curve in Major League Baseball. However, it's going to be develop the best players based on the pay structure that was in place then that's still in place now. That is how teams with low payrolls are going to be able to set themselves apart. Which I think is super accurate. Super true. And that was something that he had a lot of foresight to analyze back in the early 2000s. So that was very good at Adam Cromie. Then he went and got his master's in sports management. He kept knocking on the door of a baseball job. He couldn't get anything, couldn't get anything, couldn't get anything. And he was going to law school in 2007 when a former classmate of his who worked in the Nationals organization actually called him up and said they had an internship for him. And he worked up from an internship to being the head of the baseball operations in Washington and then being the assistant GM by the time he left the team in 2017. That's all great stuff. That's all stuff that we have talked about on this podcast that we want guys like that that start from the bottom and have worked their way up. Especially guys who had a uh, background in analytics and player development specifically. This is all good. But then you think about the fact that he has not worked in baseball in four years. That's a little bit scary. And then he left baseball to pursue a career as a lawyer, the thing that he was doing when he didn't think baseball was going to work out. And he joined a law firm called Jones Day in Pittsburgh as an M&A associate. That law firm itself, nothing that Adam Cromie we know for a fact has done, because law firms are large, this one especially, they do a lot of different things. But this is the preeminent law firm preeminent conservative law firm in the Midwest. And I do know that because I worked in Midwestern politics for a little while back here, back in my past. 
This law firm supported Chris Christie in Bridgegate, which a lot of people from New Jersey know about. So that's a little bit strange. So I understand you could be a conservative law firm, but now it seems like that you're helping uh, things that are a little bit sketchier. And then also, this firm has been very connected to Donald Trump. He hired a lot of his legal aides and people on his campaign directly from the firm. And a lot of those people actually have gone back to work at the firm since Trump has left office, which would be like, hmm, interesting. And then they actually did head up the litigation efforts in Pennsylvania on mail-in ballot um, discrepancies in the 2020 election. But Trump tried to contract them further when he wanted to challenge the election nationally, and they did decline that service. So I guess if you want a small victory, they um, they stopped they stopped when the chaos seemed to be apparent. They did like their judicial duty, and then they walked away from the situation. But it's definitely going to rub people the wrong way that this guy. And also, if you look at the picture the New York Post posted of him, that's that's harrowing stuff. He looks yeah. like Jared Jared Kushner's fraternity brother slash lover slash clone. It's not a great picture, and it also no. doesn't help for the optics either that the Mets added Chris Christie to the board mm-hmm. and this guy's company or the company that this guy worked the firm, with, yeah. the firm that he worked with had something to do with Chris Christie. So, like, there is some weird old boys club vibes going on here in that, like, you know, one hand feeds the other, but it's he's qualified, so it makes it so confusing. But this also just ties back to those Wilpon days of being um, bureaucratic rather than being based on merit. You know what I mean? And we're hiring our friends, other rich old white guys who are going to hang in, we're going to hang around, we're going to make fun of the plebs, and we're going to win a game, I don't know. And then it just adds to more of the mess for next year because you like this is going to be a pretty like set system in place here with all these guys who are friends who know each other, pal around, probably at the country club in the offseason together. Who's going to work in the middle of that? It has to be someone else, a part of the crew. That's why Deep Podesta probably made a lot of sense because, again, he's used to it being inside of the system. It, it's, it's a very strange situation. I don't even know how it's going to work. How are we even going to hire a man? Like we haven't even gotten near that point yet. Who like who's gonna who's gonna man? I mean, I guess that could be Clint Hurley, Buck Showalter managing with all the conservative flunkies over here. Yeah, it's just it it somehow has gotten into such a mess. And this is like we weren't worried at all at the beginning of these off season podcasts. I'm worried, man. I don't have a I have a pit in my stomach. It's just like just reserved to it at this point. Like you can't take the Mets out of the Mets, man. It's unbelievable. Like I I really and I listen, it's it's short, it's one year, and we're reacting on a lot of news, but I really thought Uncle Steve was gonna clean things up and just turn around like that and it's it's definitely gonna be a slower process. You can't clean things up because we're still running with the same entire front office that the Wilpons hired at some point like this now technically almost been the same regime for 10 years besides those two awful years in the middle and it's just we did pose the devil's advocate like hypothetical a few weeks ago where if those two years with Brody didn't happen like we'd probably have an incredible team right now if Sandy Alderson was in good health there was things in place that were working in the right direction and that was even without analytics at all it's pretty impressive the Mets were doing anything in the mid 2010s without (laughs) analytics whatsoever like that that's a decent thing Sandy Alderson I guess still has some type of a clue but it's just this weird like haze is still hanging over the team. It's just not going away. No, it's not going away. Not going away anytime soon. That's pretty much it, though, for the update. That's about all we got. We don't really want to talk too much on it because we've talked about it for the last four episodes or whatever it's been. Just know that Adam Crombie is the name floating around for the GM, and it looks like Sandy's going to be the president for now. 
And this Crombie thing is close. I feel like within the next 20, 48 hours, he could actually have this job. But like, we've also heard that about tons of people over the last few weeks, so we could also be wrong. And now we could maybe leave law and get an engineer, maybe get some kind of scientist, someone who works in hospitality if the lawyer doesn't work out. I just want smart people. That's it. I want people who know how to use a computer. I don't think this guy <laughs> This guy was using SQL in the early 2000s. That's pretty good. That's probably like the invention of the system. So I'll, that, that is I'm not saying he doesn't know anything about baseball, but it's just very weird around it and what's going to come next is also strange. Yes, definitely strange. Let's talk about some player grades here. We got some guys to finish up, mostly bullpen guys. So let's get started off with Juris Familia, a guy that, you know, I definitely like a lot more than the average Met fan. He has his ups and downs. He is a roller coaster, just like that sinker. It can be all over the place, but when it's on, he's unhittable. This year, he did a little bit of both. I mean, he was... He was a mess. He was a mess, but also sick, but also a mess. I want to point out that hard transition you just made. You wanted to, like, I won't want to talk about President Baseball Operations anymore. We're going right to Yeri's Familia. I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. We've been away for a week. I'm back in the apartment for the first time in the month of November. I'm done with the President of Baseball Operations. Oh, my God. But Familia, I mean, Familia, like all the Mets relievers this year, there'd be two weeks you'd be like, oh, wow, we really have something here. It's one of the best ballpens of baseball. Then there'd be an outing where you're like, how did he ever get anybody out ever in his entire career? Familia had a bunch of those this year. But, like, I think he'll be a great bargain play for a couple teams in free agency this year. His K-rate jumped back up to the elite levels. It was at early in his career, 27.5%. He acts a splitter, which I thought was weird because I figured they used to get a lot of swings and misses, but it turns out I think we were just overrating it because of how gross it looked. He's fine. Interesting that he did this whole reunion tour with the Mets, the encore, if you will, but like, it's fine this year. Give him a C. Good yeah. believer. Yeah, I think C is probably the right way. He really just, he was, he was fine. He was our, the top of the B team, as we like to say. Yeah, he was fun to talk about, at least. He gave, he gave us a lot to talk about, that's for sure. Jerry's Familia will never keep it easy. And then a guy who actually was pretty decent this year, I think, and a guy that you were definitely uh, big on as well, Miguel Castro. He had a, he had a nice little year, sometimes similar to Jerry's, sometimes great, sometimes he simply forgot how to pitch. It was kind of shocking how it went, but I do think that Miguel Castro showed a lot of positives this year and surprised, I think, a lot of Mets fans. We know Gary loved Miguel Castro. He yeah. was he was drooling when that guy was on the mound, which is a weird weird hill to die on for Gary Cohen. But Miguel Castro had a nice year. I thought he really improved this year with another year of Jeremy Hefner underneath the belt. He was just, like, super fine. At the end of the day, the Mets have this reliever. They're paying, like, a million dollars, and he's, like, very fine. Like, that's a great place to be. Not a lot of teams can boast players like that. A lot of the good teams can boast a lot of them, but we don't we don't have those qualities. So this this is again, this is one of those like tiny good moves that Brody Van Wacken actually made. And I mean, what can you say about Castro? ERA in the mid threes, lowest he's ever had in his career. His fastball averaged ninety eight miles an hour. Like his walk rate regressed back to like fourteen, fifteen percent number that it was early in his career after being only eleven percent in um, two thousand twenty. And that fourteen percent walk rate this year was the bottom three percent of the league. So that's the one thing he does have to clean up. And he does have those outings, like we mentioned, that he'll just come out and throw 11 straight balls. And you'll be like, I wish that didn't happen. But he's also 6'7". <laughs> he throws 100 miles an hour. So I, I understand. And he threw more off pitches this season than any time in his entire career. So I think that means he could probably be okay again next year for only about $2 million, whatever that arbitration number winds up at. So like, I was going to ask, is he a free agent or we still got him? Arbitration, year? last year of arbitration. Love to hear that. Happy I to love have to him. hear as a cheap reliever, that, like, that helps with the money. That helps with the books a little bit. He's one of the few things we can really uh, hang our hats on for this roster right now that we could be like, all right, at least we have some good relievers in the mid-tier that we can count on for sure for cheap. And Castro's one of them. He's a B. Yeah, I was going to say, safe to say he's a B. Yeah. He'll pitch the seventh inning, and you won't you won't want to jump off a bridge. Sometimes, no, 
So, uh, so when he's on, you know it. It's you could tell on that first pitch. You'll know what you get with Miguel Cash. He's got a cool earring too. The cross that hangs down. Like he's got, he's some, chill, he's got some drip. He's a chill guy. Uh, another guy, maybe, maybe not as much drip as Miguel Castro, but another reliever, Trevor May. Reverse drip. Yeah, Trevor drip. May's got no drip. I'm sorry, Trevor. Tre- Trevor May looks like a like a roast ham. Yeah, <laughs> roast ham. It's just that's what he is. But he's good. He was he's really great. Good. He's really good. People hate him for some reason. I don't know why. He's really good. Fun little stat that came from Matthew Brownstein, champion of Mets Twitter. Had the most strikeouts in the zone on four-seam fastballs of any reliever in baseball this year. So that's a testament to having a good fastball, a fastball that people swing and miss at, and pitching a lot, not getting injured. Three things I really like for my relievers. Really interesting for you guys to take a look at. Trevor May on his YouTube channel uploaded going over his season and what he liked and what he disliked. Really, really interesting video. He basically talked about he was super happy with how I believe he controlled his fastball this year. And he was talking about how he was really excited that that was a pitch he was able to rely on and then make his other pitches look good. He had a nice year while there were some ups and downs. Again, you got to remember this guy's still kind of coming off Tommy John surgery a few years ago. Like He's fine. He was electric this year. I'm not going to hold his time. No, but I'm saying like he was good. Yeah. I guess, I guess what you're saying is he could be better, which I agree with that, too. Second year of the steal, I feel like he can be a premier reliever in baseball. And he loves Hefner. He does love Hefner, as he should. Hefner is brilliant. But, like, he just throws really hard. The fastball is great spin. This year, the whiff rate total on that fastball was 33%. That's a pretty high number. Actually, somehow, that was lower whiff rate than his changeup, which I'm shocked by looking at that live, even though he only threw that changeup 15% of the time. But I think Trevor May gets a bad rap. I think people shit on him because of the YouTube stuff, even though more than he should. He's a really good reliever, despite some general turbulence that almost every reliever in baseball will deal with. Jose Peraza hit a walk-off home run off Josh Hader. Like, this happens. <laughs> They're relievers. Yeah. B-plus for Trevor May. That's where B+. I'm going. B-plus. That's where I got him, too. Yep. And then let's talk about Drew Flo, mm-hmm. who is a fan favorite of the podcast. And Drew Flo, while he didn't finish the season because of an injury, he was great. Drew Flo is a fantastic, fantastic arm going into next year. This is a guy who I think has a really good chance to leverage himself into that eighth inning guy, maybe when May's been pitching a couple times, or even coming in for saves when Diaz is tired. Drew Smith is really good. I've said in the past, I think his role should be expanded. The fact that he throws three, I think even four pitches at least 8% of the time, and they all have pretty good movement and velocity spin profiles too, like... This guy doesn't really do many things wrong besides not really stay healthy that often. But he is a very good pitcher. The bullpen really, you saw it get much worse after he left. Yep. Like left with an injury, he didn't leave. But after he got injured, was after the year. He's just, there's so many things that he does well. The one thing I want to say about Drew Smith is I would like to see more curveballs next year. The pitch has incredible vertical movement and got a lot of whiffs this year, even though he only threw it like 8% of the time. If he started throwing that pitch more to counteract with fastball and cutter, like we could really be looking at a monster. Nice sick three pitch reliever mixing in his changeups have four like this guy's potential to be a very very good reliever potentially like one of the best relievers on this team and I I give him an A minus I love I love Drew Flo yeah definitely A is the right grade for him he had a really good season coming off of injuries as well for Drew Flo I'm excited to see what he's gonna do in 2022 right 2022 that's next year that is next year this is 2021 that feels wrong <laughs> this year went too quickly <laughs> too fast too fast let's talk about a guy who doesn't throw fast Aaron Loop. Doesn't how throw about, fast. How about that segue right there? there? Is. Uh, Loop is the king. Give him all the bush lights he wants. Elite. He was awesome. Arguably a top five left-handed reliever in baseball this year. I honestly might be number two right behind uh, Josh Hader. He was awesome. I mean, do I even need to ask you what his grade is? I think we know what it's going to be. No, A++. A++ plus plus. Highest I've given out besides Stroman this whole year. Yeah, he was fantastic. Fantastic. Now, will he be back? We'll talk about that a little bit later in the preview. Yeah. 
We're only talking about grades right now. We're only talking about grades, not about yes. potential contracts. But uh, he was great. He was awesome. Rich Hill, another lefty who doesn't throw hard, starting pitcher this time. Uh-huh. He was great too. Hey, it was so good. If if we actually would have been good in the second half, like if Jacob Degrom was healthy and like Carlos Carrasco pitched well or Syndergaard came back and we made a playoff push. Everybody would have been talking about the acquisition of Rich Hill as being like one of the premier under the radar cheap moves of any executive this whole year. And like Zach Scott, he's gone now for other reasons. We know that. But his, Rich Hill only gave him win three earned runs one time as a New York Met. He didn't always pitch super deep into games, but that's okay. If you're preventing runs for as long as you're on the mound, what else can you really ask for? And if you remember him when he was with the Dodgers, he just did that exact same role. He'd come out his five days, pitch his five innings, and keep the game really close. Sometimes give you a really good chance to win. That's what his job is there to be. He's not there to be the ace to go seven, eight innings into a game. Five innings every five days consistent. You gotta love Rich Hill. You gotta love Rich Hill. I... A plus again. A plus. I love Rich Hill. I would. I wouldn't even be upset if Rich Hill was back in the orange and blue next season. I also wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. No. I, I'd love to have him back, and he's not going to cost you a lot either. Almost nothing. Probably about eight mil, which is nothing for a starting pitcher. It's the Andrew Heaney deal. Yes. Dirt cheap. Back to the offensive side of the baseball. Jonathan VR, the electric factory that is Jonathan VR. Caballo Loco, whatever his nickname is. Caballero Loco. He was a great spark plug on this team. I don't want him playing every single day, no. which is what his role ended up turning into. But he ended up being a really, really nice pickup for someone that I didn't have as high hopes for starting the year. Jonathan VR played a bunch of different positions, hit the ball well. He actually walked a little bit too this year, which was really nice to see. He gives you the absolute craziness on the base pass, and he'll swing 3-0 at some bad pitches every once in a while. But Jonathan VR was a nice pickup for us this year. You want to know an insane Jonathan VR stat? Yes. Between 2020 and 2021, he had the exact same strikeout rate, 26.1, down to the tenth of a decimal, and one-tenth off in his walk rate, 9.2 versus 9.1. Wow. Pretty insane that Jonathan Villar, which is exactly the same over 60 games with two different organizations, as he was for almost starting an entire season with the Mets. It's just, that's a Jonathan Villar factor. Like, he... He's good. He really was helpful this year, but usually good teams will not give Jonathan VR 400-plus plate appearances. Like He could definitely be a, like a bench player on a very good team, which was the intention. Injuries and ineffectiveness pushed him into a role he probably should not have been in, but a fine season by all accounts. Like Jonathan, Us having a bad year was not Jonathan VR's fault by any means. No, he, he helped this team 100%. Worth two wins pretty cheaply, which you don't find that every day. What grade are you going with Jonathan VR here, James? A B. Fine guy. Yep, I think that's super fair. Now let's talk about the other Ilar brother, Kevin Pillar, not PR, Kevin Pillar. Um, he's a ball player. He's he's gritty. He's tough, he's something. and that's that's about all I could really say for him because his play is pretty lackluster. Yeah, you know, he, Kevin Pillar, while he's had a pretty good major league career, done a lot of things, helped a lot of teams, I wouldn't say that he's a player that I'd want on a playoff team in the future. Maybe, again, like as like the last player on your roster to be like a, a great locker room guy, but he also seemed like he wanted a role that – included plate appearances last season. That was a point of contention in April when we didn't even know what contention was yet. But uh, he's fine. He tries hard. He plays like a moderately okay center field. He's probably better suited for a corner at this point in his career and to have, I don't know, 100 at-bats maybe over the course of a season. See, he yeah. took a ball took a ball to the face. I'm not going to go lower than that. He's a warrior. He's a locker room guy at this point. Yeah, so ba- Battler. See, let's go about Luis Guillorme, another one of our kings. Didn't get to play that much this year. A lot of a lot no. of injuries, a lot of time missed. Still got great defense, still elite with his eye at the plate. He's a, he's a bench player. We know what he is. He's not going to be your everyday guy. No. I think we had higher hopes for him going into the season. Yeah. We saw that offense kind of take a step back after that 60-game stretch, but he's still very, very useful in the capacity that he should be used in. So I, I, we still love Luis Guillorme over here. Definitely. I just kind of saw him as being the one who would have uh, assumed that Jonathan VR role 
that Jonathan VR wound up assuming, like getting a 300 plate appearances and actually turning in like a two and a half, three win season. That didn't come to fruition. The power just isn't there. It's a good guy to have on the team. A lot, we're, all these players that played a lot for the Mets last year were describing as great bench pieces, which is going to be a theme of the offseason preview coming in a few minutes. But I still appreciate Kiorme. He's fine. He's useful. I like having him around. He seems to be fun. Everyone seems to like him. And also play good defense in multiple positions. A lot of old people are going to really hold that Cincinnati game against him forever, which is not my that fair. My dad's one of them. My yeah, dad, my dad is my too. My dad thinks of that game and is like, I'm done with him. And I'm like, Never wait, forgive pump, him. pump the brakes. Like. He's useful. He's going to take a walk. He's going to play good defense in multiple positions. Like, he's fine. C+. plus. Like, what can I yeah. say? He'll be on C this team plus. next year probably. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine that. He's going to cost, he costs nothing. So there's no reason not to bring him back. He can play three infield positions. And he's yeah, a good cool. pinch hitter. So there's that. Tomas Nito, another guy. Great D. He was one of the best defensive catchers in all of baseball this year. And in terms Always of, is. And in terms of, I think it was runs saved from the catcher position, not DRS, but whatever that stat is on Baseball Savant, he was among the top in all the league, and he doesn't catch that many games. Great. The problem is Tomas Nito swings a pool noodle. Yeah, you remember that month when he was like incredible at hitting, and we thought this was like a coming of age for Tomas Nito, me especially? I was wrong. We were we were riding high during those months. That was an elite time to be a Mets fan. The Nito King? The Nito King when we were playing Wilfredo Tovar in winning games. I mean, we were on cloud nine. We couldn't be beat, but Tomas Nito came back to earth. He's a backup catcher. That's what he is. Yes, and that's fine. He's a good one at that. And he's cheap. Yeah, he's worth nothing. He's worth nothing. And Not he's, he's worth nothing. He costs nothing. He's worth plenty. He's cost nothing. Yes. Uh, to me, Tomas Nito, C. Also gave him a C. Just fine. Yep, and that's kind of what you... Listen, your bench player is the minimum you want as a C. The minimum. Yes. And if you get a C out of a bench guy, you go, he probably did we need. He probably didn't play that much. This is the bench episode of the player grades. Usually we did five stars. This is just all the guys who are just fine. Probably won't even have them be in the team next year. Yes. One that I think will be, although Tommy John, Joey Lucchese. He'll pitch at some point. He'll pitch at some point. Um, He was, I think, better than expected. Yeah. But that being said, our expectations were extremely low. So yes. it's not like he was actually particularly good. It's just we didn't expect a lot out of him. Guy like Lucchese becomes even more valuable when he himself understands better who he is and accepts the coaching and the scouting that's given to him. Like Lucchese throws one pitch. Glo- glorified, I don't even know, a glorified sure. pitch. A sheriff. Whatever. Like, and he kind of throws the sinker sometimes. So glorified one-pitch pitcher here. He has to understand that and be like, I'm going to throw three to five innings, and that's going to be my role. A guy like Joe Lucchese, like, bitching around the dugout when he's getting taken out, even after he's thrown five very good innings. Like, can't have that. Understand it. Be like Jerusalem Musin. Give the ball back when they tell you to. This is the way you're going to be the best and keep moving forward. But he's good depth to have. He's yes. good piece. We're going to need a lot of guys like Joe Lucchese on this roster next year if we want to compete. I'm going to give him a C. I would have given him a B if he played the whole season, I think. I'm still giving him a B minus. I mean, like, he was good when he was there. It's not his fault he got Tommy John surgery. Of course not. But, you know, I'm knocking down his grade. It's a shame he got hurt. So, really, don't do that again. Now, let's talk about another lefty that uh, seemingly everyone's forgotten about, myself included. This guy has got to be the most forgettable Met that's actually had playing time of all time. Sorry, David Peterson. I'm sure you're a nice guy, but forget about you. And I don't know where I stand with him. He's Matt's 2.0 to me, even though they're not the same pitcher at all. But the body language is just like the same. I get the Matt's vibes. It's definitely Matt's vibes just who throws like 94 instead of 98, which is a big difference without the like. Without the good, the good off-speed pitches besides that changeup. The slider was good at times. I think fondly upon that Friday night in Tampa Bay when he had like 13 strikeouts in eight innings. Left yeah. him in a few batters too long, gave the home run to Zunino. It happens. Mike Zunino fucking kills the Mets apparently, I guess, saying that out loud. But like he's objectively okay. Like He's a good depth piece. I don't think anybody would ever think that David Peterson is going to be a frontline starter one day or even be a guy who should have his role guaranteed at some point ever. 
with the New York Mets, but good guy to keep around. His injury also hurt a lot because that's when the Jerry Lackoff days began. I don't know. C minus. I give him a D. I give Peterson a D. Is that I just because he was a first round pick? I think our expectations are were definitely way too high for him. But all things considering, he he just was a letdown to me this year, and I I wanted more out of him, and I just I've now changed my opinion on what kind of player he is, and that's why I think I bump him to the D. Yeah, it's more like a long term D, yes. as opposed to the other guys who are doing immediate single year grades. Peterson, yes, yes. We're getting more introspective, we're getting deeper because he was a first round pick for some reason. And then of course we have to end it. With you guys know who it's going to be, our favorite pitcher at the entire New York Mets organization, another lefty. We're holding it up. It's Brad Hand. Um, F. F. Fuck Brad Hand. Fuck Brad Hand. That's all we're going to say about him. Just fuck Brad Hand. He wasn't even objectively awful, but my God, don't, if that guy don't comes, give stats. Don't you dare give. A I'm stat not going to give Brad a stat. Like, but if he's back next year, I am going to be very upset. I'm going to march up to Sandy Alderson's office and say, "What are we doing?" He's going to be like, "About what? What do you mean?" I'm going to be like, Brad Hand? Brad Hand's back? And then he's going to say, who are you? Get away from my office. How did you get up here? Like, I would take Brad Hand for, like, nothing. Like, if Brad Hand paid the Mets, like, 400 k Yeah. That'd be fine, right? Yeah. Oh, if he wants to pay us, I'm cool with a, a, a pay structure where he gives us money. A reverse contract. Like, instead of the league minimum, $400,000, Brad Hand gives 400,000 Mets fans $1 each. It's a tax for having to watch him pitch yeah. every three or four days. Absolutely. Or he just picks a couple select Mets fans, possibly a couple select podcasters to give a hundred grand each. Like that'd be good too. I won't say no. No, I can't be bought. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> I'll buy a Brad Hand jersey tomorrow. <laughs> if he paid me, yeah. Brad Hand bought me a Brad Hand jersey, I might wear it. Which uh, I think leads in perfectly to our off-season preview here. Perfectly? Do you know what that word means? Perfectly? I don't perfectly. think it's perfect. No, it's perfect because we don't want Brad Hand. This fits yeah. into our off-season preview because we want to avoid Brad Hands on the free agent market. This team needs ball players. We need some real baseball players because when we did the quiz, we threw out some names out there, and there are some not ball players on that list. No, this Mets roster is in a shockingly bad place considering its payroll. Right now, without Noah Syndergaard um, accepting his qualifying offer, we're only $25 million lower than the tax, which is, again, it's an unbelievable place to be, especially when only three guys on the team make $20 million, and that are Francisco Lindor, Jacob deGrom, and everybody's favorite DH third base, second base. Don't Mr. You know? Robinson Cano, don't there you know? Is. So we just now have a lot of the guys in this team who were like pretty good and making no money, all now making some money. Like this arbitration jump this year for the Mets is significant, and it's kind of hamstringing us if we want to stay below the tax. If those guys don't play much better, yes, this entire offseason is completely predicated on how much money Steve Cohen wants to spend and whether or not he's going to blow through that luxury tax. Because it looks like if the Mets truly want to be able to have a shot at competing now, a legitimate shot, they have to not only get over it, they have to blow through it and say, we don't give a fuck. Think about it alone from a qualifying offer standpoint. If we want to pay Syndergaard that $18 million, if we want to bring Stroman back, if we want to bring Baez back, it's like $60 million right there. We blow through it already just on the guys that were already on this team that finished in third place. And that will put us at how much money total if we pay $60 million. That will put us at... $240 million, which would make us the, which in 2021, we would have been, we would have had the second highest payroll in baseball. And that's not even that big of a jump because already in 2021, the Mets had the third highest payroll in baseball. <laughs> so to give you a sense of how far away this roster is in terms of how much money it costs, we're in a bad situation. Mets are in a bad situation right now, unless Steve Cohen decides to spend hundreds of millions of dollars this offseason. Which is possible. It's very possible. He, he claimed he would. It is possible, but again, we don't have a third baseman. We might not have a second baseman. We have one outfielder. 
Cano, JD, and McNeil are all going to really be the infielders if nothing major happens. Our only starting pitchers right now under contract are Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Carrasco, and Taiwan Walker. I don't really think any of those guys, um, along with Noah Syndergaard, can be trusted health-wise. This this team needs probably 10 new baseball players at various positions. And um, uh, we don't have a lot of money to do it unless Steve Cohen just opens up the checkbook. Even at a cheap $3 million a year on those 10 guys, we're over the luxury tax. Like, it's... It's crazy how we're in such a bad situation. We've had some bad contracts. We've had some... But, like, the bad contract's not even there. It's just a lot of guys make, like, $6 million now. A lot of guys who used to make a couple hundred grand. We missed the time to really capitalize. Yeah, the window... The, that that window is, is closed now. Yes. And this is now just going to become a choose-your-own-adventure Mets offseason. And the first adventure we're going to choose is if we do open up the checkbooks. We should talk about that first because it's more fun. One of our... um. Our Twitter, uh, big Twitter compadres, Jazz Side, was like, you guys should do your per- perfect offseason. I guess we could do something similar to that because it would be Carlos Correa, Marcus Semien, Chris Bryant, recheck out the Conforto market, starting Marte, Chris Taylor, Schwarber, Avi Garcia. These would be the guys we're going to be invested in if we are opening up the checkbook, if you will. Yeah, and I mean, even on the pitching side, I'll take Scherzer. I'll take Scherzer if you want oh, to have yeah. to talk about a perfect offseason. We'll two for Scherzer. 60? Sure. Yeah, two for Scherzer. We'll take a look at some of those those top-name guys out there. Well, I'll take a look at Justin Verlander. You want to give me one year, yeah, 15, yeah. 20 million? All right, I'll take a look. Oh, yeah, Kershaw, two for 45? Sure, why not? Now, will this happen? Oh, God, no, absolutely not. I mean, it might. It could. I saw, I don't know who wrote it today, but I saw an interesting article about how Scherzer would be a great fit for the Mets, and I was like, well, no he'd shit. be a great fit for any team because he's All one of the best teams in baseball. All baseball could, could use Max Scherzer. He's, he might win the Cy Young this year. He's a good fit. I think he's a good fit. And Carlos Correa, 27-year-old shortstop in the prime of his career, former number one overall pick, playing elite baseball. He's Yeah, he would fit too, I think. Who also played elite defense this year too. He was a fantastic shortstop defensively. He won the gold glove in the American League. Did you also see what he said about Derek Jeter? He's my guy oh, now. Hilarious. He said Derek Jeter should have won no gold gloves. That yeah. The defensive metrics say he's terrible in the field. And I think that's so funny because Yankee fans are just like, we're going to get Correa. No no shot. Well, no, the Yankee fans are split. Um, some of them are like, we got to get Correa. And some of them are like, I will not watch the Yankees if we that's get true. Correa. Domingo Herman, Roldis Chapman. Carlos Correa, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do that. But again, these are the guys that the Mets should be in on. Like, I think I look at Marcus Semien, I think, wow, he'd be such a good fit for this team, even though his name is not even being close to being brought up. He'd be awesome. Honestly, if I'm going to throw my eggs into a basket of yeah, outside the shortstops, because I think the shortstops are kind of like what everybody's talking about, everybody wants. Simeon can play second, short, and third, and he's great at the plate, and he's great with the glove. He feels like such a great fit for this team, because... We don't have a second baseman or a third baseman right now. No, we would do still have Jack McNeil, but again, we, his role would, remains to be seen. But Marcus Semien, shockingly, has been an MVP finalist two out of three seasons now, with the only one not being the shortened season. He's great, but again, his name is not even being brought up anywhere. Chris Bryan's name is being brought up a lot. I think the Post probably talked about it today, even though the Post, I don't think anybody should ever listen to them for free agent advice because their, their article from uh, so Monday. Ba- Ken Davidov, Davidov, oh my God. Those were some of the worst numbers I've ever seen thrown out. It's like the it's guy, it, it's as if he hasn't added any new baseball knowledge in the last five years. Like he doesn't know how the, how the market works anymore. You think, to think that, I don't know. I, I'm not even going to go into it. I don't want to give these people more credit than they deserve. But another player who I think could be a very good option for the Mets, kind of Semyon before Semyon, would be Trevor Story. I really see Trevor Story taking the Marcus Semyon contract from this season, doing a one- or two-year prove-a-deal, like two for 48, something like that, one for 25, 
and just being able to tear up a place to get into a market where there's not other elite shortstops available and being able to just run the show and prove that he can hit outside the course fields. This came to me earlier today, and I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. He would want to recoup that value, and there's no way he's on the on the same level as Semyon Correa or Seager. We also have that weird thing with Javi Baez. Yeah. Because Javi Baez is very available, and I like he played so well that I think he played into getting a more lucrative market. But also, there's so many better players ahead of him that I don't know who really is chomping at the bit to get Javi Baez. No, we have to say that there's a lot of players better than Javi. All the guys, all the infielders that we've mentioned on here, I'd rather have than Javi Baez. But again, there is a world where Javi probably does have to take a one-year or two-year deal because no one's really going to back up a Brinks truck for Javi Baez unless it's for a very low AAV. Like a LeMahieu type of deal, like $15 million for five years. I think he'd be foolish to take that kind of contract because he's, what, 28, 29 as well? Yeah, no, I think, I, I think Javi Baez would benefit the most from a one- or two-year deal, similar to Trevor Story, similar to a guy like, like Avi Garcia, or probably similar to... Um, I think there's a lot of guys who could benefit from these short deals, and I think that if the Mets don't want to make the 10-year commitment to Correa, which I think they should make because I think it will prove fruitful because he could be a third baseman, not risk his body ever again, put on a little bit more mass, and just hit 35 home runs for the next seven years. But if that's not the route the Mets want to go, if they don't want to make that many long-term investments, I think guys like Verlander, Kershaw, Semyon, Story, um, possibly Chris Taylor, depending on how his market materializes because he's a little bit older, possibly Schwarber still because I still don't think teams want to pay a guy already who's torn his ACL who can't play the field super well. I think that's a very good place to be. And there's so many players available in this free agent window. Like The Mets really have an opportunity to not make any trades and improve this roster massively. And the Mets and Sandy Alderson talked about that today during the GM meetings where he brought up how the Mets are not interested in trading any guys at their lowest value, which basically means Chef McNeil, Dom Smith, those, that, that core group, which is interesting because we had been hearing that they're going to rip up the core, and now it sounds like, no, 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 we're not going to. And then he also mentioned, we're not trading any of the top prospects that we have either. Is this a chip that he's trying to play to make teams really more interested in these guys? I'm not sure. I don't know. But this even builds into like the whole thing with building this team and no president of baseball operations. Those people might be like, we have to get rid of those guys as much like we won't do it. So I don't know what the direction is here. That's what's so confusing is I don't really know where the Mets go. The great thing is ton of options on the market, like you said, but it's really hard to figure out what to do until we know how much money is going to be spent. Well, again, then we have to continue on this thought exercise. Just now, we went through basically all the position players that the Mets could sign. We haven't even touched pitching X. Pitching is a whole other animal. But all the position players the Mets could get if they do open up the checkbook. But if that turns out to not be the case, I really just don't know how this team's going to scrap together a 90-win roster unless, like, all of the question marks work out. Jeff McNeil becomes very good again. Dom Smith becomes very good again. DeGrom and Carlos Carrasco have cl- and Noah Syndergaard have clean bills of health. Robinson Cano starts taking steroids again, but he doesn't That'd get caught. Uh, I would do anything for Robinson Cano to take steroids again. It's a win-win for the Mets if that guy takes steroids. But then you're going to, again, Cano's going to be a major piece. JD's going to be a major piece. I said before, Dom's going to have to uh, play well. And then you're going to be back in that bargain barrel to fill the back end of this roster. And Eduardo Escobar, a Cesar Hernandez, a Jock Peterson, a McCutcheon, a Jonathan VR reunion. Like, those are the types of free agents that the Mets will be invested in. Maybe sign one of the big guys or just re-sign Baez and then dive into that bargain bin. But you'll still be over the luxury tax, which makes it all make so much less sense to me. But the, that's why I think that if the Mets do not commit to spending a shit ton of money, we're going to be back in the trade pool like last year, and then we are going to trade these elite prospects for our splash, just like last season. Jose Ramirez, Byron Buxton, I think those could match Frankie Chapman. Montes. Yeah, those could all be names. I don't think Montes has as much weight as the other guys we just mentioned. Well, I, I think the baseball minds, yes, he fucking does. That guy's elite. He's a workhorse. We like Frankie Montes, but that's when we're talking about Chapman— 
Jose I love Ramirez, Frankie Byron Montas. I know you love him, but we're just named like three great. Frankie Montas is borderline ace. If he's starting game two of the NLDS, you're in a good spot. I'm not slandering Frankie Montas. I'm just saying he's not in the same breath as the other guys we mentioned. I'm not in the SEO YouTube business. I'm looking at talent here. Frankie Montas <laughs> is as valuable as a baseball player as any of those guys you just mentioned. I'll die right. on that hill. All right. You can die on that one. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go into a deep dive into Frankie Montas if the Mets actually do trade for him. I'll take him. I'll take him, no doubt. I don't know if I want to give up Ronnie Mauricio for him. Well, that's the thing. If you're getting any of these guys, the worst prospect you're trading is probably Mark Vientos, who this year has turned into being a pretty solid top 100 prospect. I don't think Brett Bailey or Alvarez is available, but I think Mauricio, Matt Allen, Vientos, JT Ginn, these are all the good prospects the Mets have. We don't have a lot of depth here. So trading this top tier would really kill the system. But again, like maybe we don't care about killing the system. If you think that this is the last piece to a World Series roster, then yeah, you do that. It just doesn't seem like that's true. Like, I don't think if you put Jose Ramirez on the Mets right now, it's currently constructed, they're even a playoff team, which is a pretty disgusting phrase to other, but it's true. Yeah, no, we, we definitely have a lot of bigger issues, and I really do think that the starting pitching, while we just talked about the offense again, I think the starting pitching might be the biggest issue right now because, like you said, we're relying on a lot of guys with injuries in the past. DeGrom coming off a big injury, Carlos Carrasco, being a little shaky, Taiwan Walker coming off of the most innings he's ever pitched, basically. By a lot. And those are the three guys that we're counting on that are on this team. We don't know if Syndergaard's coming back. We, we need to get some pitchers. And I know you're the pitcher whisperer here, so I know you're going to have some names for us in the bargain bin here. This is a pretty underrated pitching class, in my opinion. I'm going to come out with an article on Pitcher List in the next few weeks about like comparing and contrasting a lot of guys on similar tiers because there's a lot of very compelling tiers of pitchers. The first one being the Rodon, Gaussman, Robbie Ray tier. I'm putting all those guys together. They're bang, bang, bang for me. You can put them in any order you feel, but their contracts are going to be fascinating they get because all of those guys have massive, massive, glaring, blinking, beeping red flags that you cannot ignore, but they've also each put together at least one elite season and two, I mean, actually, no, all exactly one elite season being the most recent one. Rodon, if his velocity is there, he could be one of the best left-handed pitchers in baseball. Kevin Gaussman seems like something finally clicked for a guy with massive pedigree, and he's just hitting his pitching prime at 31. And Robbie Ray, like, you can trust him or not, but the guy's probably going to win the AL Cy Young. He's always had that potential within him. But finally, the Blue Jays got found a way to get it out of him. And it's just, do you pay those guys $25 million? How many years do you do it for? Like, I, someone's going to come over the top and offer these guys the 5 for 100, 5 for 120, 5 for 140, 6 for, like, Six for one for these type of contracts and Patrick Corbin contract. Yeah, do you want to be that team? And that's going to be a cr- you wouldn't do for any of them. I think I would do it, man. If I had to rank those three guys, and I know you're not going to like this, but Gosman's probably third on my list. Really, he's I'm my just, one. I'm just so not. He's good. I should say that. But when I watch him pitch, I don't like watch him and go like, wow. I'm not like wow. Like Carlos Rodon at times this year looked pretty unhittable. No, definitely. And Robbie Ray, like, he just kind of attacks you. He just kind of comes firing at you, and I do like that. Well, that, that was his big adjustment this year, because everyone knows Robbie Ray is the guy who walks everybody. And this yes. year, he's like, my stuff is so good, I'm just going to throw it down the middle. It's a Tyler Glasnow strategy, and it fucking worked. And i probably go Ray, Rodon, Gosman, and it's not that I don't want Gosman. it's just I like the other guys better. I almost have the exact opposite list. Which I think funny. that Robbie Ray is, like, the most volatile, because I think his adjustment, while it was brilliant for him, could very, very well be completely upended because his home run rate was a little high, and it did rise toward the end of the year. And he did have some of those starts where he would throw eight innings, like 14 strikeouts, look like the most dominant pitcher in baseball. But Robbie Ray's tricked me before. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit scared to be hurt by Robbie Ray, especially because guys like Gaussman and Rodon, they still have that pedigree. Like, I still watch them pitch, and I'm like, okay, there's something crazy there. Like, I believe in their velocity more so. I believe in their command more so. It's basically about health with Rodon. And Gaussman's basically about just throwing his splitter and locating his fastball. Possibly, if he ever got a slider, he would just really, like, turn the whole thing upside down or even possibly a curveball because they could play better with that repertoire. But that's a very interesting tier. The next interesting tier is super interesting as well because the Scherzer— I mean, I'm, actually, Scherzer in his own tier. I'm not going to put him in this tier. Scherzer's elite. We all know that. He's going to cost you 30 mil. That's worth it. The Kershaw, Verlander, Granky tier. Like, wow, is that, a, is that a compelling tier of pitchers? Three Hall of Famers right there. Probably. Three Hall of Famers and three of them who are kind of— well, they're not kind of old. They are old now. Kershaw's technically not old yet, but Verlander and Granky definitely are. Granky yeah. looks like he's coming towards the end of it. I mean, he'll still pitch five innings every five days. Like, he's going to be old reliable, that's for sure. Verlander was a Cy Young in the last time he's pitched. Like, he's still really good, but we haven't seen him pitch in a year, so that's scary. And then Kershaw has the injuries too, but he's also still really good. It's very... It's so deep, this pitching market, that we even talk about these three, and we don't know what to do with them. It's bizarre. Like, you can you cannot count on the health for probably either Kershaw or Verlander, but I think if we do Mets go down the choose-your-adventure money path, one of those guys makes a shit ton of sense. I think if we go down the cheap path, Granky makes a ton of sense because he'll just give you 200 innings that won't be that good, but they'll they'll be there, and he'll be a fun guy to have around, I guess. I I it's a weird place to shop, but I think that if the Mets want to compete, similarly to how the Braves pulled Charlie Morton last offseason, the Mets have to find a way to get one of those older guys who can provide some stability in this rotation. And again, there's no telling whether Kershaw or Verlander can actually provide any stability whatsoever. But Kershaw just perpetually injured now, and Verlander's coming off a massive injury. But they at least offer a ceiling that not many other classes of free agent pitchers have ever offered. You know, What's your rankings for those guys? One, two, three. Who are you going? God, that's fucking hard. Granky's third. Yep, I agree with oh, that. Oh, Jesus Christ. I would probably shoot for the moon and say Verlander Kershaw. Yep, that's exactly what I had. Yeah. If, if we're going to go after that tier, I want Verlander to be the number one guy. Kershaw, there's just 0% chance. There's no way Clayton Kershaw comes to the New York Mets. I can't see it. His mark would have to be so dead, and the Mets would have to like just completely shock him. I don't know. It just feels like the Dodgers or someone else out West is going to be way more aggressive with him than the Mets would be. But like, if, the, if he doesn't go back to the Dodgers, I can see Kershaw going to a team where he knows at least he could possibly win. If the Mets are in the market for Kershaw, I'm assuming they've already gotten some other pieces. They are going to be in a winning market. That's true. And signing one of these guys would show yeah. you that the Mets are going to spend and push. And that's another weird thing with this too is the Mets have to make a decision with their their first signing because you can't just kind of like tippy-toe we'll around here. immediately. You have to know, we'll know immediately what their direction is going to be. Well, add some instant credibility too if this does happen and that will bring me now to my favorite tier of the starting pitcher market these are the guys who i love the mid-tiers the guys who are going to be worth 10 12 15 18 million dollars the john grays the eduardo rodriguez my guy alex cobb tony disco uc kikuchi michael fucking pineda we got even to go deeper down this list these are not guys who i'm expecting the mess to sign at all but like carlos martinez waka steven matz alex wood like there's a lot yeah, there's a lot of pitchers out. Tyler Anderson, uh, Mr. Drew Smiley, folk hero in Atlanta, Danny Duffy, who just disappeared this year after the Dodgers traded for him. There's a lot of pitchers out there who can be viable. It's like walking through a minefield, but there's going to be a lot of value that comes out of there heading into next season. I would hope the Mets are really attacked. I would even put Rich Hill in that tier, J.A. Happ. I do hope this is a tier the Mets attack and acquire multiple pitchers down there not to mention we have Syndergaard and Stroman too who could very well no, come back to this team. I didn't, yeah I, didn't, I wasn't mentioning Stroman because I think that's a separate discussion we have to have because yeah. his market I think is going to be robust but I think it's going to be very there's going to be a ceiling on it 
Yeah. I think I think 13 teams are going to offer Marcus Stroman basically the exact same contract. Something between 18 and $24 million annual between three- and six-year contracts. Those, of course, being in a ratio with each other. I think it's basically going to come, come down to where he wants to go. Yeah, he's going to have his choice. I, I hope it's the Mets. I'd love to have Marcus Stroman back. He was so great for us this year, but uh, it's going to be a tough market for him. But the guys that you mentioned, I mean— the names aren't sexy by any means. No, the names aren't, not. aren't. I mean, aren't to me, they are. To the deeper knowledge of baseball, you know, you go, okay, we could, it's a four or five. They're great. Three even. We'll, we'll take it. The one that jumped out to me immediately was Carlos Martinez because I know he has some crazy stuff. He's just never really been able to put it together. So he's a little bit more of a project, I'm sure. But I, I like hearing that name. I would love I to see know. him under Jeremy Hefner. Jeremy Hefner, the pitching whisperer. Sprinkle a little dust on Carlos Martinez, the guy who threw 100. He did, but Carlos Martinez has been a part of some of the worst innings I've ever watched in baseball. Statistically, he pitched the worst inning ever this season. That that playoff series from two years ago, that game against the Dodgers was just an absolute shit show. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if you can sign him to be a starter at this point. Maybe he could be one of those, he can be in that swingman role, two to four innings. But the names from that list that really get me excited are John Gray, this is in this order. John Gray. Which, by the way, the Rockies not giving him a qualifying offer is bonkers. It's brain dead. It's brain dead operation from that team, which we all do. We know they're brain dead already, so that's not a surprise. But to not trade him because they said they were going to give him a qualifying offer and get the draft capital and then not give him the qualifying offer. Like, what the fuck is going on there? Who's running the organization? <laughs> that team, I feel, I'm so sorry, Rockies fans. I feel so bad for you. If any Rockies fans listen to this, like, we would really accept you as the, I think this is probably the only team you can get to that could possibly become more dysfunctional than the Rockies. But I think we'll at least have more fun doing it. We won't be doing it at altitude, so pitchers will have curveballs. But I'd love to see John Gray get out of Coors Field. I think he's definitely not going to be resigned there next year by not giving him the qualifying offer. Someone's going to sign John Gray, and someone's going to get some good value out of it. Eduardo Rodriguez, I think, is another guy who could really benefit from a change of scenery. Just getting out of the AL East would be massive for him. He's was better than people thought over the last few years. He had that very scary bout with COVID. Led to a heart arrhythmia or something crazy like that, but he keeps the ball on the ground. His slider can be okay at times. Like he's a guy who could be a very reliable mid rotation piece for the Mets, pitching in a much worse offensive environment than Fenway Park against the Yankees, the Rays, and the Blue Jays. Oh, coming to the NL East and pitching in City Field, I'm sure would do wonders for Erod. Absolutely, and also I, I love Alex Cobb, man. I want Alex Cobb in this team so bad. He's one of the most underrated pitchers in all of baseball. I'll go out on a limb and say that. The splitter is amazing. When it's rocking, it's rocking. This year it was freaking rocking. The guy had a career-high K rate. I really feel like he was never right after leaving the Rays. And kind of got He got hit in the head, then he got Tommy John. There was a lot of shit going on for Alex Cobb for the last five years. But this is the first year. He got out of Baltimore, too, which is literally a graveyard for pitchers. But he finally got to a ballpark that actually, no, Angel Stadium actually is a pretty good hitter's park. But yeah. no matter what happened, all the guys in the Angels are striking everybody out this year. And Alex Cobb benefited from that. I think he would be a great option for the Mets, three for 45. I would be over the moon if they signed him to that deal. Yeah, Alex Cobb doesn't get, you know, the groin tingling over here, but. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking to win baseball games here. Yeah. <laughs> we, got, we need like three starting pitchers. He could happily be one of them. But do you think he's going to be able to, the Mets get priced out of him in that we're going to need so many that we can't pay him maybe? like a team come in and super aggressive with him? I think there's an opportunity to jump the starting pitcher market. If you can identify a mid-tier guy that you like, just because of the chaos in the top. Because Scherzer's the top guy. I do think he's going to stay a Dodger, but there's going to be a little bit of a market for him. Those next three guys are complicated as hell. Like Teams are tearing their hair out right now trying to determine how much money Carlos Rodon, Kevin Gaussman, Robbie Way are worth. And then you have the old guys who are going to garner a ton of interest, like we just mentioned. So I think if you can identify a Tony Disco and Eduardo Rodriguez and Alex Cobb, a John Gray, John Gray will have a little bit more shine because he was a former first-round pick. He, everyone knows about his acumen, and getting out of cores is always going to have that little sexy element for free agent pitchers. And no QO tag is huge. 
yes, no Kyotag's huge. Not going to have to give up a draft pick to get him. But if you can identify these mid-tier guys, even a guy like Yusei Kokuchi, who I think made a big step this year, added some velocity, he's a fine, fine pitcher. He's not going to wow anybody. There's not no sex appeal with Yusei Kokuchi. <laughs> but like he's a fine starting pitcher. You can plug him into this rotation. You can have value added. If you jump the market and pick up two of those guys, I think that's a good route the Mets can go. But again, we need to have some kind of coherent philosophy for that to happen. We just simply don't have that right now. Yeah, I mean, once Syndergaard accepts that qualifying offer, which seems like is going to happen relatively soon, it seems like Syndergaard is just going to be a Met and stay here for at least one more year. We have seven mil to work with. It's not a lot. The Mets got to make a decision soon. Like you said, I think we should try to jump the market. I really do. I mean, get these guys. And again, like, you can do that. Like, you saw the Braves do it last year. They pulled Charlie Morton very early in the game. They got him to a very team-friendly deal. But these are the types of guys the Mets got to get, guys who are relatively reliable, will throw a lot of innings, and who have a little bit of a ceiling left coming into an organization who we think is near the cutting edge of pitching development. Yeah, it would be nice. There's definitely arms out there. The market is so deep this year. I feel like this is wild. So deep. This sounds weird, but, like, while it doesn't have the... Harper, Machado, you know, the shine that that free class well, We have had. Correa, Scherzer, well, like Semien, Story, Seager. This, this class is better from an actual baseball standpoint. That was better from, like, the casual baseball standpoint of you see yeah. the two names, $300 million men. These guys, well, I don't know if any of them were necessary. Correa probably has the best chance to be a $300 million man. I think he'll get close to that. But there's so much good talent. I wish we had more money to play with because well, why uh, don't we have why don't we have more money to play with? Why can't the Mets have a three hundred million dollar payroll next year? Literally, why not? Like, why I, can't the Mets sign like Verlander, Gaussman, and Alex Cobb? Because I, I, it just feels like they're not going to. I think Sandy even then, made a comment. But then we're not going to compete. We're not. The Mets will have no chance to win a World Series next year if they don't sign a lot of these guys. Unless, again, unless. Everything works out perfectly. Jeff McNeil hits 330. Dom Smith is 30 home runs. Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Carrasco, and Noah Syndergaard all perfectly healthy. If all that goes perfectly, then yeah, the Mets could compete and win 90 games. But that's like the 90th percentile of expectations. It's a pipe like, dream. If you want to build a floor, something we've talked about a lot, you need to sign tons of these guys. And again, even back to the bargain hitters, like Jack Peterson, bring, come, bring him in. Mark Hanna, bring him in. Chris Taylor, bring him in. I don't care about what position these guys are playing. Just a mass talent. That's what yes. we need, talent. That's a big thing that uh, I see a lot of people talk about now. They're like, well, we already have this. We already have that. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Look at what the Braves just did. They signed four outfielders. They got four outfielders. <laughs> none, none of them can play center field. None of them can play center field, and they just won the friggin' World Series. I mean, there can never be too much talent. This is a thing you saw the Dodgers do in the past two with pitchers, where they'd come to spring training with like 12, 13 legitimate starting pitchers, and then they cut some guys. Would that be the worst thing ever? The Mets have too many no, good players. Imagine not at all. complaining. Oh my god! Could you could you imagine? But like, like everybody, everybody's gonna be out there. Throw money at any money. Throw money at Dexter Fowler. I don't even care. Throw money. At, well, again, I love. Just get a just get. We must need bodies in here to be on the bench. Like again, like Dexter Fowler is a bad choice. He's a guy who I'd give like the um, I'd give him like the the AAA taxi contract. If he's willing to play AAA baseball, he's a perfect guy to keep down there. Same with like Corey Dickerson. Cole Calhoun, guys who are competent major league baseball players who are better than Albert Almora Jr. That's the goal here. And then just fucking attack these markets, man. Get these players. Get all, There's so many good players out there. We haven't even mentioned the Castellanos, who everybody in Twitter is talking about, who I think would just be a complete unmitigated disaster on the Mets. <laughs> this would be Jason Bay 2.0. I'm sure of it. The Great Wall of Flushing is back. Oh, it'd be terrible. Uh, I mean, not that he's going to be a bad player. Like He'd be fine, but if you pay him $28 million, he's going to be awful on defense. He's going to make some errors that are really going to make people's eyebrows rise. And he's just, in his career, like when he was a Tiger, like he was basically the same hitter, but just a bigger ballpark. That will happen in City Field. Something will go wrong, I know for a fact. I'd rather give Avi Garcia $13 million. I fucking love that guy. Mike Trout Light. Yes, Avi Garcia is a sneaky good player. And I think... 
that's something we're going to do in upcoming episodes. I think we're going to give like we did our perfect, you know, prediction, but that was also a little bit funny too. Just naming every yeah. single good player and saying we want them. I think we're yeah. going to come up with a list. We're going to come up with like ten guys, maybe ten under the radar guys. We're going to get a lot of content as well as turn them into YouTube videos for you guys here too, because there's so much to talk about here with the free agency and the off season. Last note here before we wrap up this episode, because I think we've covered pretty much everything here coming up on an hour. Yeah. Michael Conforto, is he back with the Mets, yes or no? We've asked this before. I'm asking it again. Uh, I think probably not, but I think that they should be much more in the market than they are. It seems like they're not really involved at all. And I think Conforto's a guy who just has a high floor. Like We saw the worst he could ever possibly be this year, and it wasn't good. It definitely wasn't pretty, but he was still like better than an average baseball player, which it's not the easiest thing to find as the Mets showed us this past offseason with their roster construction. So I don't, I don't really think that giving Michael Conforto like – five for 90 would be the end of the world. I think that's something he might accept. I think he's another guy who would be very likely to take the one or two-year deal. One for 20. Get Michael Conforto back. Get the band back together. Do it again. Take the tears back. Wipe him with a towel. We're okay, man. I just don't think, he, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to be back. No, I, I don't think so either. It just seems like, especially if he's going to take like a one for 20, take, not taking like the one for 18 QO. I, I know he's Scott Boris guy too, so Scott Boris just doesn't do that, but it feels like the Conforto days are probably 95% over. Definitely, but would Scott Boris rather give him a lower deal that buys him out of the best time in free agency? Like, Michael Conforto would make more money if he signed a one-year deal, got back to free agency next year. He's just a 29-year-old. He's only 28 right now. People forget that. He could even sign a two-year deal and approach free agency just as a 30-year-old. That wouldn't be a bad thing at all. Take a page out of Stroman's book. And Simeon, even. Simeon, yeah. Like, all these Schwarber. These guys are going to get some decent money, and they kind of gambled on themselves. You don't want to buy it. You don't want to basically price yourself at your lowest, and that's what Michael Conforto is doing right now. Definitely. Unless someone does come over the top and give him like the Ken Davidoff special, 6 for 140. If anyone yeah. offers Michael for a 6 for 140, you're running to the bank with that. You're saying, this is great. By the way, he had it as the Phillies. That's nonsense. I know, but I mean, they do have the ties to Boris. Dombrowski wouldn't have taken that job if they weren't going to spend. And he, Michael Ford has spoken highly of Kevin Long, who's there. Where the fuck are they going to get all that? Wait, the, Kevin Long's not in the Phillies. I thought he was a Phillies heading coach now. No, he's Nationals. Did he leave the Nationals this year? Well, he was partying with Soto at the Dodgers games wearing Nationals stuff. So that'd be weird if he's now a Philly like weeks nope, later. No, current hitting coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. Wow. Okay. So Kevin Long's on the Phillies. I mean, he's a Girardi guy. That yeah, they sense. hired him October 14th. Right after the playoff thing, rocking the Nationals. Okay, that makes sense. That makes me a little bit more scared. But he could definitely be a Philly. It would make tons of sense. Where do they get that fucking money? If, if the Nebraska's Phil- not taking that job if they didn't have money to spend. Here, here's what I'm going to say. If the Phillies end up spending more money than us this offseason, that's bad. That can't happen, especially with would, Steve Cohen's deep pockets. It would also be hilarious if the Phillies like spend their money on a corner outfield when that's like one of the easiest things you can buy when they don't have a shortstop and have two starting pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> or three, I guess now. Yeah. Oh, boy. Offseason, man. It's just getting started. Free agency is just beginning, and we have no clue what the Mets are doing. That's going to wrap up here for episode number 60 of the Mets Up Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Mets Up, YouTube channel Mets Up Podcast. Drop James a follow on Twitter at Cheater Had No Range, me at Giraffe Neck Mark. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really does help us out. That's where we'll wrap it up, guys. We'll see you next week for episode number 61 of the Mets Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time.